Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you. So good to gather today to really focus on Christmas. This good news of great joy that is for all people that a Savior has been born. And so we get to do that together uh, through this passage in Philippians today. You know, all fall we've been talking about outreach, right? Us reaching out to those around us with the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And so today uh, we talk about the greatest outreach event of all time, uh, the God of the universe who reached out to a broken and needy world in the person of his son, becoming a human being to be with us, to serve us, uh, to save us. It's a pretty great outreach. And so we're going to focus on that this morning, this wonderful passage that is familiar to many of you. Uh, You may not always think of it as a Christmas passage, but it is, I promise you that. And what I want to do this morning is just two things. First, I want to talk about the world that Jesus entered into, its motivations, its ways, kind of the uh, blue shade of Christmas that Mark talked about. And then I want to talk about Jesus and his motivations and his ways and what he did for us. So we're going to do that by looking at this passage. Uh, The context of this passage is clearly uh, the Apostle Paul who wrote this. Uh, He is calling us into a posture of love and humility to consider others more important than ourselves, to not just look out for our own interests, but to look out for the interests of other people. And in the context of that, that, he gives us a description in verse 3 that I think is a a perfect description of the world that Jesus entered into 2,000 years ago. So take a look at verse 3. He says this, do nothing out of, your translation may be a little different than these words, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, okay? And I think those two descriptions really uh, epitomize the darkness of the world that Jesus entered 2,000 years ago. Selfish ambition and vain conceit. That second description, vain conceit, literally in the original language is the phrase empty glory. Do nothing out of empty glory. And Paul is, is tapping into this idea that every human being longs for glory. We long for greatness. In our heart of hearts, we long to be seen and recognized as great, as powerful, as capable, as extraordinary. We all in our heart of hearts long for glory. And even this goes all the way back to the very first human beings, to Adam and Eve, who were placed in this beautiful garden And then we're offered a choice. The choice was (laughs) not showing up for me. There it is. Right? God made them in his image. They didn't wear sweatshirts like that back then. But um, he placed them in this beautiful garden. And then Satan tempted them. The serpent tempted them with this. Eat the fruit of this tree. And you can be like God, okay? Talk about glory. God had already made them in his image, but that wasn't enough. He said, you can be equal with God. And they looked at that equality with God. What an amazing thing. And what, and what, a, what an empty pursuit that was for them. That was an empty glory. But they, they wanted that, and they grasped for that, that equality with God. And ever since then, we've been grasping after glory, for ourselves ever since. And and that hunger for glory plays out in that second description of verse three, this idea of selfish ambition. It is the tendency of the human heart ever since then um, to 
to put ourselves at the center of things, if I can put it that way, to, to look out for our own interests at the expense of others, to, to use the power and the position that we've been given to our own advantage rather than to other people's advantage. And in the Christmas story it's, itself, you see this kind of heart posture playing out. You see it play out in really obvious ways, and you see it play out in really subtle ways. The, the obvious way, of course, is the character of King Herod. Right? You know the story. But King Herod, who, who hungered for glory and power, when the wise men came to him and said, a new king is being born, uh, that threatened him. That threatened his sense of, of glory, that he would have to share that with someone else. And so he took the power that was his, the position that was his, and he used it to his own advantage. And he sent soldiers out to actually kill all the Jewish boys in the vicinity of Bethlehem who would have been the same age of when Jesus was born. This selfish ambition. You also see it play out in maybe some more subtle ways. Uh, In Luke's gospel, there's that little interesting phrase where they show up in Bethlehem and it says they placed him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room at the inn. And scholars debate about what exactly an inn was and what was going on, but it seems pretty clear whatever that was, was that there were some people who weren't willing to give up their own interests. They wanted to consider their own interests more important, and and they didn't make room for this family that in the moment was in desperate need and had to uh, have a child under unusual circumstances. So 2,000 years ago, this is is the dark side of Christmas. And of course, 2,000 years later, uh, we see the same posture of selfishness, of empty glory, of considering our own interests. We see it play out in our lives all the time. We see it in obvious ways. We see it in subtle ways. If you want obvious ways today, just open the paper any day of the week, okay? Just uh, turn on the news, and you will see very obvious examples of this. Um, I, I couldn't help, as I was preparing, but think of, of what we've been seeing in the last three months or so, of all of these uh, sexual harassment cases that are just kind of coming up all over the place. Uh, in this case, against men who are in positions of power. We're seeing this across Industries. It's really remarkable. I mean, even if a quarter of these allegations are true, we are seeing this epidemic that has been there, but it's now surfacing across industries, starting in Hollywood, um, the media, Olympic sports, politics on the right, on the left, right? It's, it's just really an amazing phenomenon. And, and what it's showing is, is the abuse of power, okay? In this case, by men who use the power and the position they have to their own advantage, to take advantage of women who, in that situation, lack the power. So for me, as a, as a father of three little girls, um, this hits me differently than it used to hit me. And so just to, to, to even think that some of you women in this room have had to go through what, as a father of girls, feels like this just heart-wrenching, almost unbelievable experience at some point in your life that continues to shape your life just to acknowledge that in this room, but to say that that happened because someone who had power over you used that power to their own advantage and didn't put that power at your service, but they took with the power that they had. And your life continues to be shaped by that. And that, that kind of selfishness, that, that is not unique to men. I'm not throwing men under the bus, right? That is common to the human heart. It is so natural for us to put ourselves at the center and to look out for our own interests at the expense of others, um, to consider our own needs and and to try to protect our own securities, our own comforts, and to grasp for what we can grasp for. It comes so natural to us. 
That is the dark side of Christmas, the blue shade of Christmas that we have to acknowledge in order to acknowledge the beauty of Christmas. It's this posture that the world that is so natural to us. But Jesus invites us into this radically different way of being, this way of humility, of self-sacrificial service, the way of Jesus. And so what I want to do mainly today is focus on Jesus and the Christmas story. And what I want to do in particular, you all know the events of the story, but I want to focus on each of the events. I want to focus on Jesus' heart. I want to ask the question, what's driving him to do what he does? What is his motivation in what he's doing? And so you're going to look at familiar events, but hopefully you'll see them through a new lens. Uh, what Paul does in this passage is he, he takes us through um, all the different stages of Jesus' existence, okay? From before he was born, to his birth, to his life, and to his death, and to his resurrection. So I want to walk through these events, but again, walk through them thinking about what is driving Jesus in each stage, okay? So try to follow this. It's, you're going to have to stay with me. I'll give you some pictures that'll help, all right? Um, He starts by going back before Jesus' birth. Look at verse 6. He's talking about Jesus, the first, who being in very nature God. Okay? He's taking us back before Jesus was born, before his birth, before he became a man. And what we believe as Christians is that Jesus existed as the Son of God, as the eternal Son of God before he came to earth. Right? This is the mystery of the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Jesus was there as the eternal Son of God, part of the creation. He, he, was, he, he was active in the creation of the world. And I want you to think today, I'm going to give you a photo. Let's just picture Jesus before he became human, whatever you might picture. But I want you to try to imagine what was his experience like before becoming a human being. And if I had a word to describe it, it would be the word we've already talked about. It was an experience of glory. (laughs) It was an experience of greatness, of being the all-powerful creator in heaven, worshipped by all the angels. It's an experience of fame and honor and power and privilege and status and recognition. That glory that, that we always grasp for Jesus had it all. He had all that. That equality with God status that Adam and Eve wanted, Jesus had it. He was in very nature God. And now watch his posture, okay? Look at the second half of verse 6. Who being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God, my translation says, something to be used to his own advantage, right? He was equal with God, and he didn't didn't use that and say, this is something that I'm going to cling to. This is something that I'm going to use for my own advantage. No, he considered his equality with God as something to be used for your advantage and for my advantage. He looked out on a world, a broken, helpless world filled with broken, helpless people, and he asked the question, what is it that they need? What is it that they need? And how can I use my equality with God status in order to meet their needs? Well, here's what they need. They need a rescuer. They desperately need a rescuer. Someone who can enter into their experience and represent them and live the perfect life that my, 
my father desires and then offer a perfect sacrifice that his holiness demands. That's what they need. Well, I can do that. In fact, only I can do that. But he considered our interests. He said, I can do that. And so he made this radical decision. Look at uh, verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Made himself nothing. Literally, he emptied himself. The original language says. He emptied himself of all the external forms of that glory. All the, if I can say it this way, all the perks and privileges (laughs) that come with being the God of the universe. He emptied himself. He let go of all of those things. And he was made in human likeness. Right? This is what we celebrate at Christmas time. The miracle, infinite God becoming a finite human being. And that's what the songs we sing talk about. Uh, Hark the Herald Angels sing, uh, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead. This is God disguised in skin and bone. Or I love uh, the song in Christ alone, Fullness of God, Fullness of God in helpless babe. I remember when my wife um, first became pregnant, we started, you can, you can receive these weekly updates, you know, from this place that kind of gives you an update on what's happening with your baby. Um, this week, your baby is the size of a poppy seed, right? This week, your baby's the size of a blueberry, of an avocado. This week, uh, your baby's eyes are forming and uh, her, her lungs are developing. It's remarkable. <laughs> Infinite, creator, universe maker, Lord of the galaxies, reduced to a poppy seed. And then a blueberry, and then an avocado, and then a babe. That's what we celebrate, and we marvel at the miracle of that. But today, the focus is not on the miracle, it's this. But what is his heart? What is his motivation? What is the God of the universe doing in the form of a baby? The answer is, he is serving you. He is not considering his own needs. He's considering your needs and my needs. He's not taking all his power and using it for his own advantage. He's putting all of his power at your service and at my service. Marvelous. Well, Paul doesn't end there. Look at verse 8. He goes on to describe his life. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. You know, this is amazing. Jesus lives this life of humble servant service from start to finish, of, of loving people, of caring for their needs, of putting their interests ahead of his own, of, of placing other people's needs ahead of his own comforts and probably his own, what he would maybe, what would be easiest for him. Such a humble thing to do. When you think about it, Coming down and being a baby would have been enough. <laughs> like to show up as, as a, a person and say, I, the God of the universe, have chosen to humble myself and become a human being. That is the radical act of condescension, condescension that I could do. Now here I am. I'm your king. Worship me. Serve me. I deserve all of that. That would have been amazing if he did it that way. But he went on and actually lived this life of humble service, of serving people. This is him, of course, washing the disciples' feet. Placing his power and his authority, which he had as the Son of Man, at the service of other people. 
And then we get to the, I think for Paul in this passage, the climactic moment of Jesus' service. Verse 8, look at it. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even, exclamation point, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. So in the first century, the cross was one of the most uh, painful ways to die. But I think Paul's point here is the cross was also the most humiliating way to die. Okay, on a cross, you're stripped down, you're raised up, and you're publicly exposed for anyone to see as a criminal, as defeated, as, as guilty. It's utterly humiliating. And at Easter time, of course, we marvel at that, that the, the king of kings, that the, the lion from the tribe of Judah is on a cross. He's defeated. He's helpless. He's, he's broken. He's lost. But this morning, what we're talking about is, but what is his motivation? <laughs> what is the king of kings doing up on a cross? He is serving you. And he is serving me. He is not considering his own interests, but he's considering your interests ahead of his own, and he's considering my interests ahead of us. He, what is he doing? He is washing us. Just like he washed the disciples' feet a night earlier, he is now on the cross. He's washing us. He's washing us clean by offering our sacrifice, by paying our penalty, right? by serving our sentence. He's taking his status as a perfect human being, the only human being who's ever had that status, and he's not using it to his own advantage. He is using it to our advantage. He's doing something that only he could do for us as a perfect human being. And so today, we gather just to step back and marvel at Jesus. I love that we sing that song, Jesus, you know, something about that name. But we we step back and marvel at this being who at every stage of his existence, his interest was our interest. And ultimately, he's going to be glorified in beautiful ways through it. But at every stage, he's not considering merely his own interests, but he's considering our interests. He's using his power and placing it at our service. This journey of downward mobility, which is very un-Orange County-like, from heaven to earth to the cross to the grave. And And Paul's point in all of this, in this passage, is to invite us into the same kind of life of selfless service. Look at verse five again. Um, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Jesus Christ. He's inviting us into the same way of life. And all fall... We've been talking about how do we live this kind of life of self-sacrificial service, of considering those beyond us, considering their needs ahead of our own. And so as we conclude this fall and this whole series, rather than calling you one more week to pour yourself out and to reach out, what I want to do is I want to call us today to simply receive. Because we cannot pour out what we have not received. That's this metaphor of overflow we've been talking about all year, right? And what Christmas and Advent is about in so many ways is is to simply stop, as Scott said earlier, to slow down and to receive. Receive all that Jesus is for us, all that he's done for us, to take it in, 
to, uh, as Mary says, to, as, as what happened with Mary, to, to treasure it in our hearts like we would take in a good meal and we would digest it and taste it and take it in to our bodies. That that's what we do at Christmas. You know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Uh, the name Bethlehem, you know what that means? House of bread, right? Bethlehem, house of bread. And it was at the house of bread that the bread of life was born. The one who says, I am the bread of life. Come to me. You will never be hungry again. You'll never, never thirst. And so what we do at Christmas is we take in this bread of life and we receive what he's done for us. We sit with it. We marvel at it. We accept it. We stop long enough to be filled up by it. And so that's what I want to do. I want to end by giving us all an opportunity just to slow down and to receive this. And I know this is not unfamiliar to most of you, but to receive his heart and his posture and all this and to make these events personal. And so we're going to take a little just space of prayer to just receive this today. And, and you might be here and you maybe have never received Jesus in your life. You've been thinking about this. You've been considering it, but you've never really said, Jesus, I want to receive everything that you've done for me from start to finish. I want to say, I believe it. I'm, I want to invite your presence into my life. I want to take in and, and, and cherish who you are and who I've come to believe you are. You can do that today. This will be the first day that you fully say, I am intentionally receiving this. And you maybe have been walking with Jesus for 40 years of your life. And yet this Christmas, you need to stop again. You just need to receive all that he is, all that he has done for you. And just sit with it and take it in and go, thank you, Jesus. I want to give you thanks for that. So let me, let me lead us through a time of prayer and um, just reflection. So if you would, if you would just close your eyes. And again, these are events that may be familiar, but let's try to make these events personal to us. Let's just sit with them. And let's sit with Jesus in a very personal way. So what I want you to do, I just want you to, we're going to walk through this again. I want you to picture Jesus before his birth. I want you to picture him in heaven, worshipped by the angels. And I want you just to, to remember that from that place of glory, that he knew you, he saw you, he saw your need, and from that place, he cared deeply about you. And that care led him to leave that experience of glory and to enter into this broken world. And can you just take a moment to receive that, receive his heart towards you, to take that in, to thank him for that? Just take a moment to do that. And I want you to picture him now at his birth. I want you to, whatever you imagine, this child with his human mother and father, uh, totally dependent, completely needy on them for everything. But he's there to encounter you on your level. He's there to experience life the way you experience life to fully enter into your reality and to my reality. 
And can you receive that today? Can you thank him for that? Can you accept that and take it in? And now I want you to picture him at his death. Whatever you imagine, that, that scene on the cross, humiliated, uh, apparently defeated. But why he's there is ultimately he's serving you. He's washing you. He's giving his life so you can have life because he loves you. And can you receive that today? Can you, can you take that in and say, thank you, Jesus? Not so that you feel guilty for all that he went through, but so that you just receive it as this beautiful gift that you can say thank you. And now I want you to picture where he is right now. Where is he now? And I'll tell you, this is where he is. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is in heaven again. And all power and authority has been given to him. And I want you to ask yourself this question. How do you think he's going to use that power and authority? Simply for his own interests? Simply for his own advantage? Or will he continue to continue to use his power and authority to look out for your interests? And what what he's demonstrated at every stage of his life, of his existence, that he's going to look out for you because he is for you. He has always been for you. He will always be for you. And he will use the power and authority that he has right now to take every single event and moment of your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the blue, the red, the green, and he will work it out for your ultimate good in the end because he's for you. His interest has always been your interest. And can you take that in? Whatever challenges you're facing today. Jesus Uh, This Christmas, we want to receive. We want to take in all that you are for us. We want to take you in. We want to receive you into our hearts, into our lives in a fresh way. Just as Mary received you in a very real way, may we receive you. Bread of life, bread of heaven, come down for us for our sakes. We say thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to spend some time worshiping Jesus. Uh, at the end of our service, um, I always want to invite you. We have our prayer room open. Beyond those brown doors to the right, there's an office there. 
Also, if you want to talk to any of us, if you want to process any of this, um, I'll be up here. Uh, Christina, our women's pastor, will be up here. Mark, who was up here earlier, he'll be up here. We'll just be up here. We'd love to talk to you, pray with you, answer any questions you have. So I want to invite you to do that. But let's, let's sing to our Savior uh, who has made his interests ours.